ahead and let the kids head on back to class. Good singing today. Be in Philippians chapter 1 this morning. Philippians chapter 1. One of the hardest things I have as a preacher is knowing where to go after I finish one series. So we finished Nehemiah and what we were going to cover in Nehemiah last week, and then I, I'm stuck. I'm like, oh no, what's next? And uh, start praying through, and actually Philippians 4 was the area that I wanted to go to, and the Lord said, well, let's just start at Philippians 1 and work our way there, and you'll eventually get there. So today we're going to look at Philippians 1, the first 11 verses of Philippians 1. And uh, we're looking at the church of Philippi, and you'll see here, uh, if you go back and look, we won't do it this morning, in Acts chapter 16, you'll see Paul on his second missionary journey finds his way to Philippi. He actually uh, got a, uh, a vision that said, come and help us, and uh, the Lord sent Paul that direction, and not the original area he was planning on going, but he went as God directed him to go and helped with the establishing of the church in Philippi and, and, uh, and, and helped the church there. And so now this is uh, years later where Paul is writing a letter to the Philippians, and uh, we have it recorded by the inspiration of the Lord for us here in Scriptures. And, uh, and so let's read the first 11 verses here of Philippians chapter 1. We'll pray, and then we'll kind of jump through uh, these 11 verses. Uh, Philippians chapter 1 says, Paul and Timotheus the servants of Jesus Christ, that's obviously Paul and Timothy, to all the saints in Jesus Christ, uh, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making requests with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is meet for me to think of this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in my defense, or the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye are all partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you in the bowels of Jesus Christ, and this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, under the glory and praise of God. Lord, I pray for your help this morning as we open up the book of Philippians and we begin to study through uh, this letter to this church. And Lord, I pray that we would begin even now, to learn and to grow, and Lord, that you would challenge us through your word this morning. God, I pray as we look at just this introductory uh, uh, part of this book and of this letter, Lord, I pray that you would be able to speak to our hearts in areas that we need to grow and improve in. And Lord, I pray that as well you would encourage us. There is much encouragement in this passage. Lord, I pray that as I present these 11 verses that I would do it clearly and that I would do it correctly, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We see here this, again, this letter being written. Um, there are really two different kinds of letters. I'm sure there's more than that, I suppose. But uh, you have a letter of encouragement, a letter of friendly letter, and then you have a letter of admonishment uh, sometimes as well. And I don't know if you've ever met the person who likes to write strongly worded letters. 
uh, whether it be to politicians or to uh, uh, different people in the world, to let them know how they feel about something. My wife is, is a, a letter writer in the sense that if she has confrontation, she would prefer to do it through a letter form uh, than through verbal form because she'll cry if she's talking to you in person. So, uh, so, and I haven't gotten one of these letters in a long time, thankfully, but uh, early on in our marriage, every now and then I'd walk in and there'd be a letter waiting for me, and it wasn't a sweet lovey-dovey letter. She was willing to say that to my face, but uh, the other things I got to read and then have a conversation with her about. And I've heard many people talk about writing strongly worded letters to their bosses uh, or to politicians or to different things like that as well. Here, Paul is writing uh, to the church of Philippi, and he includes Timothy as a author of this letter, although Timothy was just uh, serving with Paul and, and as far as we can tell, didn't actually have anything to do with the writing of the letter. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, we see this letter written. So let's start. I've got three things today. Uh, the letter, uh, the love, and the prayer. So let's start off with the letter. The first two verses cover this. Who is this letter from? It is worded uh, here so well in verse number one, the servants of Jesus Christ. Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ. I don't do this a lot because I'm afraid it makes people think that I'm trying to sound smart, and I think by now you know better. But the Greek word doulos is the word used here for servants, the idea of being bound to or property, or purchased property of. Now, let me say this, because I didn't know this until I had and was forced to take Greek class in college. Um, but when I took Greek class, one thing I learned is it does help me understand a little better the things that are, that are in the Bible. The New Testament is mostly written in Greek, the Old Testament in Hebrew. And, uh, and so I never took Hebrew. I, I chose the Bible major that didn't make me take Hebrew and only made me take Greek. Uh, so I never studied Hebrew, but uh, in the Greek, one of the things, I was talking to the teenagers about this this morning, the Greeks use more words than we do. And in English, we have usually a word that we use. So for instance, love is a good example. Uh, we use the word love. In the Greek, they had multiple words for the word love that kind of defined what kind of love they were talking about. So if you take the time, anybody can do this. It's free. You can Google it. Um, there's different apps that you can download, but if you have a chance to have a concordance or a Greek uh, um, uh, Bible of some sort that'll have it, I have it online, so I just hit the button on the word and it tells me what the Greek word is and what that Greek word meant. And it really does help if you're just taking time to study the Bible, it can help you and you don't have to actually know Greek, you just have to, to pull it up in, online. Pretty simple, but it can help you kind of better understand uh, exactly what's going in and the Lord helps with it, obviously more so than knowing Greek. Uh, and you don't have to know Greek or study Greek or even look up Greek to understand the Bible. God will help you. But if you're trying to study out things, it is helpful. And here this word for servant used in the Greek gives us the idea of, again, of being purchased property of or bound to. And Paul and Timothy remind us here of the importance of the fact that they are servants to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because Christ purchased Paul and Timothy. Christ purchased me. And Christ, uh, Lord willing, has purchased you as well. You see, when we are saved, we are then purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for us, he purchased, he paid the penalty, he paid the price of our sin. And so if I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, if I have put my trust and my faith in Jesus Christ to save me from my sins and from the penalty of my sins, I am then purchased by Jesus Christ. I am now a servant 
of Jesus Christ. The great thing about God is he expects and he, and he desires for us to serve him, but God doesn't make us in the sense that God gives you the choice, are you going to obey or are you going to disobey? And when you disobey, there will be consequences. When you don't follow God, there are consequences. Uh, but God is not like a slave master um, as you think of slave masters. But Christ did purchase us with his blood that was shed on Calvary. Christ purchased Paul and Timothy, and they understood as they addressed this church, we are not servants to the church. We are not servants to the Christians. We are not servants to anyone on this earth, but we are servants of Jesus Christ. This letter is from the servants of Christ, Paul and Timothy. And, and again, I mentioned this at the beginning, but I think it's a good lesson here, Paul including Timothy as he writes this letter. You see, the Bible teaches us that the older Christians, the more mature Christians, are to help train and teach and bring under uh, their wings, so to say, the younger Christians. It's important for mature Christians, so not necessarily even in age, sometimes it is just someone who knows the Bible, who studied the Bible longer, a more mature Christian, uh, can bring on someone else underneath them and help to teach and to train and show them what the Bible says about different things and teach them. Paul is doing that with Timothy. He's training him for the ministry. And he includes Timothy here. And I think sometimes we get a little lost in, well, the older are supposed to teach and train and lead the younger. We fail sometimes to include the younger. I've met too many older uh, people who are mentors to younger Christians, but the younger Christians don't know how to do anything because all they've been doing is getting coffee for the older Christian or just kind of following along on a leash instead of actually being involved in and actually getting hands-on experience and training in the things of the Bible. If you are teaching someone how to share the gospel, you want to show them by example. You want to teach them that way. So you show them this is how you share the gospel. You take them with them as you meet with somebody for coffee and share the gospel with them. My dad um, did this with me. I remember very clearly, I, I don't remember how old I was. I would assume seven, eight, nine years old, somewhere in that range. My dad had scheduled a meeting with a minor league baseball player. He played for a team in New Orleans, but they were in Nashville playing baseball. My dad had met him uh, through a mutual friend. And so dad said, Vince, why don't you come with me? Um, we're going to take John out to eat, and uh, we're going to share the gospel with him. And uh, so we went, and we went to Cracker Barrel. I remember uh, I got one of the uh, glass-bottled root beers. And uh, the only the bad thing I learned that day was you don't get free refills when you get the glass bottle at, at Cracker Barrel. You have to get the cup if you want a free refill. So I only got one. But anyways, uh, I got some ice cream. I remember that too as well. And we ate and just had conversation uh, with John. And then afterwards, we went back to the hotel where the team was staying and found an empty conference room. And my dad shared the gospel that day with John, let him know that God loved him and that even though John was a sinner and although John deserved hell as so did I and my father, uh, that Jesus Christ came to this earth to pay the price for his sin. My dad used an illustration about a plane ticket and I don't remember it all exactly how he did it, but he talked about the fact that Jesus Christ was the gift being offered to John, a free gift, nothing that John had to do for it, no works that John had to do. It was just simply he had to receive the gift that Jesus Christ offered. And I remember John watching and listening, and I remember John bowing his head and praying and asking God to be his Savior. And it was that, that was really the first time that outside of a church setting I had seen the gospel shared, but I still remember it. My dad has done that with many different people. 
uh, co-workers over the past and friends and different people that he's met. And, and he has taught through showing me. But not only do you teach by showing, you actually have to allow the person you're teaching to try it every now and then. Otherwise, they'll be left alone and you won't know if they've actually received the training and the teaching and understand it so well. I remember our youth pastor in ninth grade, he, he had what he called a youth council. He had about, I think it was eight of us, four guys and four girls, and he used us in planning activities and doing different things. And one of the things that we had to do in order to be on the youth council was we had to go out every week during the church's uh, door knocking time and go out and share the gospel with people. Now, I don't know that I would do it the same way he did. They took us out in a van, dropped us off in a neighborhood, and said, we'll pick you up in an hour. Uh, I don't know, I'm not sure that was the best, best way to do it. But nonetheless, they sat us in a room and taught us, this is how you share the gospel. This is what the gospel is. These are verses you can use. This is kind of how you can initiate the conversation, things like that. And then they sent us out to do it. And you see, oftentimes when we get caught up in this mentorship or this idea of a, of a more mature or older Christian teaching a younger Christian, we get a little caught up in the, uh, the enjoyment of being the teacher, and we fail to actually train. And you see, Paul with Timothy not only taught Paul, and I'm sure they had many great conversations on their journeys and travelings, but he also included Timothy. And so as he wrote the church of Philippi, he was helping Timothy for down the road to have a better rapport with this church and understanding that they would respect him better. Because, you know, Paul was a, uh, quite the guy. And you imagine that when Paul was, knew that eventually his life was going to end, his ministry was going to end, Paul was the kind of guy that, that you could oftentimes maybe fall into this trap of going, well, you're not Paul. You know, you're not as good as Paul. You don't preach as good as Paul. Or you don't have the same testimony as Paul. Or you don't have the same charisma as Paul. Or whatever it is, Paul was wise in including Timothy in his ministry with these churches so they understood, hey, it's me, Paul, as well as Timothy, we're writing to you as servants of God uh, hear this letter to you all in the church. That's important to remember. So it's from the servants of Christ. It's to the saints uh, there at Philippi. It says in verse number 1, uh, to the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. So he addresses the entire church, not just the leadership of the church. He does mention the bishops and deacons, which is the two offices that God has ordained for the church. Sometimes churches have other offices, and it's perfectly fine. Uh, but these are the two offices we read about in the Bible. It's given quali qualifications in the Bible. Bishops, pastors, same thing, uh, uh, just different terminology, and then the deacons as well. And so we see this, this letter is being written to the church at Philippi, to those that were in the church uh, there, uh, uh, Philippi Baptist Church, or whatever. Uh, it's just the church of Philippi. All right, so then that's the letter. Number two, let's look at the love that Paul had as he's sharing here and as he's writing and he's reaching out to the church of Philippi, he really shows the love that he has to the people. Look in verse number three. It says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. So in showing forth the love that Paul had, uh, number one is joyful remembrance. He's thinking about the people that he's met, the people that are there, the people he has relationship with, and it brings him joy. Why? Because there are people that are like-minded Christians in a church that are serving God just as Paul is serving God. And so it brings forth a joyful remembrance of the people. In verse number 4, it says, Always in every prayer of mine, for you all making requests with joy. And we see continual prayer by Paul as well. If you love someone, you're going to pray for them. This is a good, good remembrance for us, a reminder for us. If we love our neighbor, we're going to pray for our neighbor. If we love our authority, we're going to pray for our authority. 
If we love our enemy, we're going to pray for our enemy. If we love our church brothers and sisters, we're going to pray for our church brothers and sisters. If we love our spouse, we're going to pray for our spouse. See, Paul had continual prayer. Always in every prayer of mine uh, for you all, making requests with joy. He had a joyful remembrance. He also had continual prayer. Verse number 5, godly fellowship. It says in verse number 5, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. You know, I can tell you there is nothing better. I enjoy having fellowship with really anybody. I enjoy having conversation, uh, friendly conversations, talking, and, and having different things there. But there is nothing like godly fellowship. There's nothing like sitting down with someone who encourages you in Christ. There's nothing like uh, sharing time with someone that, uh, that spends their time encouraging you in God as opposed to complaining all the time. I don't know about you, and I don't mean this to be a knock on, on my coworkers. But in most cases, if you come in, especially on Mondays, and you ask someone how they're doing, their first response typically isn't something excellent. It might be, I'm doing fine, or I'm doing good, or I'm doing whatever. If you start asking questions about the weekend, it's usually, well, it went over too fast. You know, well, I'm doing okay for a Monday. Well, you know, those kinds of things. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that as far as it, it is what it is, right? But to actually have opportunities to sit down and talk with fellow Christians, with fellow believers, what a joy it brings. Uh, I know every year I go down to the men's conference, the men's retreat, and every year I, I meet up with uh, folks from our church that we pastor at in Indiana, and we have lunch together, and, and then we go to the retreat and spend time together at the retreat. There's other people at the retreat that I've known throughout the years, and just a chance to sit down and talk with people that ask me about the church, and we'll talk about different things going on and, and, and bring up memories from the past and, and all these sorts of things. And I remember I come away every year um, uh, challenged by the preaching, but also just encouraged by the fellowship, just an opportunity to sit down with people from across the country and talk about the things of God. Just encouragement. It's not even super spiritual conversation. It's just edifying conversation. It's uplifting conversation. It's friendly. It's joyful it is uh, um, common as far as we, we are having godly fellowship. We're not talking about sports. We're not talking about um, our work. We're not talking about those things. We're just, we're just enjoying each other's company of like-minded people. I have friends from college uh, that are pastors of churches or work in different churches, and we're different. We have different philosophies of ministry. We have different, even some doctrinal things and different, some standard things and things like that. I still enjoy the, 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 the conversations that we occasionally have, but it's different because we are different in the way that we serve God or the way that we uh, worship God. And so when I sit down with people who worship the same way that I do, it's just encouraging. It's just uh, edifying. And here we see that being brought up, the godly fellowship that was had between Paul and this church. Then in verse number 6, we see a Christian confidence. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. We see here this confidence that God will see us through, that God's work does not go unfinished. The God that started will be the God that finishes. The God that started will be the God that provides. The God that started and, and helped in the early days of your church will be the God that carries you through every day of the church. Acts 5.39 says, if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it. If God is part of it, you cannot, uh, you cannot win against it. If God is for it, it will last. If God is for it, it will succeed. And definitions of success is different to every person, but all that matters is that it matches God's definition of success. Uh, 
And here is a confidence that the God that started the church at Philippi is going to see you through and perform it until Christ's return. You know, the God that started this church, my family is the people that God used to start it, but without God, this church wouldn't have made it off the ground. Honestly, without God, the church, I don't know how we would have got our first building. I don't know how we would have got our second building. I don't know how we would have got our third building, and I surely don't know how we would have got this building. Without God, I don't know how we would have gotten any person to attend the service. Uh, without God, I don't know how uh, we would have paid the bills. Without God, I don't know how anything would have worked, and honestly, I don't think it would have. There's a confidence that Christians can have knowing that the, the God who began a good work is the God that will perform the good work, the God that will see it through. Then we see a passionate partnership uh, here as well. Look in verse number 7. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, and as much as both in my bonds and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, ye are all partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you in the bowels of Jesus Christ. We see a passionate partnership between Paul and the church at Philippi. He says in verse 7 that you are all partakers of my grace. Here he's saying the grace that God has offered me, the grace that God has provided for me to serve and to work and to, to minister, you all have benefited from these things. You all have been a part of that. And you see, that's the way with Christians. As God takes care of us and as God provides for us and as God blesses us, it, it oozes out to other people as well. It involves and it includes and it impacts other people as well. For the, the goodness that God has given me, for the grace that God has given me, for the mercy that God has given me, for the blessings that God has given me, it has impacted you as well because you've been a part of it. God's providing for us in 2014 to start the church impacts the newest people in our church because without God's provision in 2014, we wouldn't be around in 2020. Here Paul is saying, I've ministered and you have been helped because of it. Uh, God has helped them uh, uh, because of the, the fact that God has helped Paul. They are connected in ministry because it has impacted them as well. In verse number 80, he talks about the longing to see them, to minister with them again in person, to hear updates from them, to see God working in their church. There are times where God just provides a partnership with someone else, with another Christian, and boy, how it helps them. I remember the first time that our family met Mark and Aura uh, Pereira. It was in 2014, the early parts of 2014. We were in a church in Tennessee in a missions conference. We were a part of the missions conference, and Mark and Ara were a part of the missions conference. We met them as all the, the missionaries that were there to be a part of it met at the church on the Saturday, and uh, so we met each other then, and immediately just kind of clicked. And then throughout the week, got to talk with them more, got to know them more, and then I believe it was 2016 when Mark and Ara came to our church and presented their ministry at our church. And again, just the time we spent with Mark and Ara there was a connection there. There was a partnership uh, there. And I'm so thankful that our church uh, chose to support Mark and R and be a part of their ministry because uh, every time we just have an opportunity to talk, there is an immediately uh, a connection between us. There's a partnership. There is a like-mindedness. There is a desire to serve God. There is a desire to start churches. There is a desire to minister and to serve. There's a desire to edify. There's a desire just to help uh, uh, each other in ministry. And I think you all have sensed that too. When Mark spends time here and Aura spends time here, our church has just bonded very well with Mark and Aura. 
I had dinner with Michael Kelly a few weeks back, and Michael shared with me that him and Danielle, he said, there's something about your church that me and Danielle just, we immediately clicked with. There is a, there is a bond there. And he said, I don't know that I can explain it, but there is, we just, we feel about your church something special, a connection with your church. And that's not a, a weird, super spiritual connection, okay? It is just a natural, they fit. It, it makes sense. There is a commonality between them. There is a partnership. And I pray that we have that with all of our missionaries. And I'm so thankful for the missionaries that we support and the missionaries that we have a small part in. I greatly appreciate that. But that's what we're talking about, that, that passionate partnership, that commonality that Paul felt with the church at Philippi. And I believe the church at Philippi felt it with Paul as well. There is a love and a compassion here for this church. So then that leads to the prayer that Paul has for this church. Look in verses 9, 10, and 11. Verse number 9, he prays that they would be a loving church. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in the knowledge and in all judgment. He prays that their love may abound, that it would continue. That the love that they're showing to their fellow church members, that the love that they're showing to their community, that the love they're showing to the world, that it would continue, that they would continue to be a loving church. Then he prays that they would be a knowledgeable church as it says there at the end of verse 9, more in knowledge and in all judgment, that they would know God, that they would know right, that they would know what they are supposed to do, that they would follow God in the ways that He would have, that they would listen to God's Word, that they would listen to God's teaching, that they would be a church that was knowledgeable in what God would have for them. We've committed our church to be that kind of church, a church that is knowledgeable of what God would have for us. Our name of our church is, is, is what, what guides in that sense, Bible pathway, that we would follow God's word and the pathway that he would have for our church. We're not saying that every church has to do it the way that we do it, but we are saying the way that we do it is the way we believe God wants us to do it. And we're going to follow that, and we continue to try to learn and be knowledgeable of what God desires for us. In verse 10, he prays that they would be a discerning church, that ye may approve things that are excellent. A discerning church. Not everything in the Bible is thou shalt not and thou shalt. Not everything in the Bible is as easy as God just simply laying it out for us, saying you have to do this, you should do this, or you should not do this. But God does teach us in the Bible what he would desire for us, what is right and what is wrong, and what he wants for us. And through our studying of the Bible and through our prayer, God helps us to discern what is right. Know the difference between godly and opinion. Listen, everybody has an opinion. Everybody does. I do. I have strong opinions. Um, and, and as a pastor, I oftentimes get to hear other people's opinions as well. And we have to understand what is godly or what is right and what is opinion. Sometimes it's not a bad opinion, but it's just not what God desires uh, at that time. And we have to be discerning of what God desires for us. And that was Paul's prayer for the church of Philippi. Then in verse 10, it continues, and he prays that they would be a genuine church. It says that uh, you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. A genuine church. Acts 24, 16 says, And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense towards God and towards men. So he says, uh, Paul is praying here, I want you to be genuine or sincere. I want you to be genuine. I want you to do the things that you do because you love God, because it's what you desire to do. 
I want you to be able to have a clear conscience in what you're doing. As it says in Acts there that uh, he says, I, I do what I, what I do to have a conscience void of offense both of God and of men. That, number one, that I'm not offending God in the things that I'm doing. And that I'm doing it in a peaceable manner so that people who are offended are only offended because they're going to be offended by everything, not because of actually something that I did wrong. So I'm doing what I do to make sure I have a clear conscience that everything that I've done, I've done because I believe it to be right and to be good. And that's the only way you can live a life that is clean or clear of offense of God and men. Doing what you're doing because you know, because you've prayed about it, because you've studied God's word on it, you know it's what God would have you to do. Be genuine in the way that you live. Be genuine in the way that you do church. And then lastly, he prayed that they would be a fruitful church. Verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. This is important. He says, I want you to be fruitful by Jesus and for God's glory. Fruitful, again, can be looked at different ways. Either way, it is producing, right? Something is being produced. Uh, but, uh, you know, some people would argue, well, if you only have so many people in your church, then are you fruitful? And these kinds of things. And I don't believe you can be a numerical church and, and be, be focused on numbers. We always want to have more people. We always want to help more people. Uh, but at the end of the day, we have to be fruitful by God, having God provide the fruit, and then for God's glory, for the purpose of God's glory. Fruitful by God's definition and not the world's definition, not our definition, but God's definition of fruitful. You see, Paul was praying that this church would continue. Honestly, if you look back at all these things that we've looked at, they would be, continue to be a loving church, that they would continue to be a knowledgeable church, a discerning church, a genuine church, and a fruitful church. And I believe that's a prayer that, that uh, should be applied to our church today as well. I believe that God desires that we are a loving church, that we show love towards people, towards people in our church, towards people outside of our church towards our neighbors, towards our community, towards those that we are, have a hard time loving. Uh, God desires that our church be a loving church. And we've talked about this before, and I don't want to spend time on it today, but God's definition of love and the world's definition of love are different. And so we don't have to love people the way the world tells us to love people. We have to love people the way that God tells us to love people. We have to be a knowledgeable church, a church that is constantly knowing and learning more of God and more of what is right. We need to be a discerning church and knowing that uh, uh, discerning between what is good and what is not good. And I say it that way because, again, sometimes there are things that are not evil or wicked, but God just doesn't desire it, at the very least in this church. We don't worry about what other churches are doing. It's none of our business. It's not our problem. We don't answer for what the other churches do. We answer for what our church does. And so we are to be discerning about what is good for our church, what is right for our church. Then we have to be a genuine church, a church that loves because we love. Not because we're supposed to, but because we actually do love. A church that does what we do because we desire it and we believe it to be right by God. And so we're doing it out of nature, so to say. Naturally, it, just, it's, it is what is our church. And so we are doing those things. And a church that is fruitful by God, and for his glory. We don't ever give credit um, to, uh, to anything but God. We, if we put out a, uh, an ad and people come because of it, 
we don't give the, the ad the glory for it. We give God the glory for it. If we have an event and an activity, and we, we hope to do this again uh, soon, the family extravaganza or vacation Bible school or the kids extravaganza or different things like that, and people come to our church as a result of it, we don't give the event the glory. We give God the glory. If we have a yard sale and we bring in $1,000, we don't give the yard sale the credit for that or the, the items the credit for that. No, it's because of God. God gets the credit and God gets the glory. No matter what it is, our church is going to be fruitful only by God and for God. The church that, that gives credit to uh, whether it be uh, different things that they do in the church, uh, methods and things like that, those people... They might have a larger church than us, but if they're giving their, uh, their methodology the credit for their church growth, guess what? God doesn't get the glory. The Bible tells us God is a jealous God. God is the only person that deserves glory, especially uh, and above all in the church. Uh, we've seen people who want the glory. I've seen it in churches, people who sing for their own glory, people who teach for their own glory, people who clean for their own glory, people who do whatever for their own glory. And listen, I hope that we're grateful, we're appreciative of those that, that, that are involved and do their part to help. Um, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for it, and I'm trying to do better expressing that gratitude because I'm not very good at that. But uh, at the end of the day, it should be done for God's glory. And if it's not, what's the point of doing it? If you're singing for your own glory, guess what? This is the wrong church. You're not going to get a record deal by singing at this church. Uh, you're not going to get uh, uh, anything super special by singing at this church when it comes to the world standards. But if you do it for the Lord, the Lord will bless, and the Lord will give you uh, your due reward. And better off, God will be praised and glorified within the church and maybe the people sitting in the church. The reason, by the way, we do special music when we do it, the purpose and the timing of it, it's, it's there to prepare the people listening for the message of God. So we sing it right before the sermon is preached. And the purpose of a special song that we do, and this could vary a little bit. Kids are singing. We like to get kids involved and things like that. And I'm not sure that they fully can comprehend that. But the idea in the songs that we sing as special music is to help prepare the heart and the person listening for what is about to come, the message of God's Word. And so we do these things for the purpose of the glory of God, and we need to make sure that we are this. This Church of Philippi, and there's, there's some incredible things in the book of Philippians. Um, when we get to chapter 4, I'm really excited about it, but we're still a number of weeks away from that. Uh, but there's some great stuff about a Christian and mental health and, and being mentally where God wants you to be. But within this book, we're going to, to learn, as God is teaching this church of Philippi, encouraging and challenging them in different ways, we're going to learn many things. Next week, we'll close out chapter 1. Uh, as we continue forward, there's some, some really, really good verses uh, in here that are going to teach us a lot. Um, but today, when I, can I encourage you this in the same way that Paul was trying to encourage uh, the church at Philippi? Number one, understand that we are servants of God. He was doing this by example. We're servants of God and no one else. We are bound to or purchased by God. So let's serve Him. Then let's love 
Uh, and love will bring us joyful remembrance, continual prayer, godly fellowship, Christian confidence, and a passionate partnership. And then our prayer ought to be that we would be a loving church, a knowledgeable church, a discerning church, a genuine church, and a faithful church. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for letting us come today. Thank you for your word and what it can teach us. And God, I pray that you would just uh, uh, continue to develop this church into the church you want it to be. God, I pray that this morning, if there's anything that you've spoken to us about, that God, you would continue to train and to teach and to guide us in the way that you'd have us to go. Lord, help us to follow it. Help us to be obedient to it. Lord, I pray like Paul, we would encourage one another. Lord, I pray that as we love people, we see that uh, all the things that come with being compassionate and loving those around us. God, may we have a joyful uh, remembrance of those fellow Christians, a continual prayer for them, a godly fellowship, Lord, there's nothing like that, a confidence in you, Lord, that you will see us through what you've started, and Lord, that we will continue to have a partnership one with another, understanding that we are connected because of your word and the gospel. And God, I pray that our church would be loving, knowledgeable, discerning, genuine, and God, that we would give you all the glory through the fruit that you provide for our church. And God, we're so thankful for that you're, what you're doing for us. God, I pray this in Jesus' name. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you please stand with me? We won't have a long invitation today, but if the Lord's spoken to you about something today that you'd like to pray about, I pray that you would. Maybe today you just take a moment and say, Lord, thank you for what you're doing in our church. Thank you for what you've provided for our church. God, help our church. That's what we need to be praying today. God, help our church to be what you want it to be, a truly loving church and knowledgeable and discerning and genuine and fruitful. If you're thankful for the church that God's brought you to, would you thank him for it and would you pray for his help that we go forward and be what God want us, wants us to be? Jason, would you come uh, up here for just a second, please? We're going to sing just the first verse of Amazing Grace, um, and, and we'll be dismissed. Thank you for your good attention this morning. I hope that you'll be back at 1 o'clock uh, to join us if you're able to uh, as well. Jason's going to lead us in Amazing Grace, just the first verse, um, I guess, chorus, whatever that is, of Amazing Grace, and then we'll be dismissed. Mm -hmm.